You know, as different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift-giving. Give scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. Two kinds of bacon and all kinds of delicious. Say hello to Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas, each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. Breathe Gathering gloom, watch light fade from every room, and see the people look back and lament. Another day is useless and it is spent. Compassionate lovers wrestle as one. Lonely man cries for love and has none. Your mother picks up and suckles her son. Seeing your citizens wish they were young. Cold hearted old that rules the night, removes the colors from our sight. Red is gray and yellow white, but we decide which is right and which is an illusion. Welcome, everybody, to Juice Pro Wrestling. With us today, uh, Sretton in the studio with the Juice himself, which is myself. What's up, Sretton? What's up, man? Just got a haircut. Feeling pretty good. (laughs) Damn, you look smooth. And we have a very special guest on this episode today. We have Barry Norman, who is an actor. He's a writer. He's he's like the media mogul, the king of all media nowadays, now that Howard Stern is uh, no one's talking about anymore. DJ back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Author. Yeah. This guy, uh, Barry, we were talking um, before we got off uh, and recorded. You've talked to people like, I mean, you were telling me Nirvana, Soundgarden. Uh, and I'm sure the list goes on and on. You know, Mick Foley. Uh, tell tell everybody out there listening a little bit about yourself. Well, I've, I guess I've always been an opportunist. I've uh, been interested in all kinds of things in media. And whenever I saw a chance to get involved with it, uh, I, I did so. I, I went to a year of school uh, to, to learn the music industry. And they actually also taught television production. So I said, okay, I'll try that. I mean, Atlanta, I got a job with CNN, went to CNN Sports. And that's how I ended up eventually at World Championship Wrestling as a publicist. Really? And eventually my, yeah, uh, they had a flyer saying, no, we're looking for a publicist for a professional wrestling, WCW. And I thought, well, I mean, I, I mean, parts of my life I was interested in wrestling. I was never this giant fan. I used to go to the Boston Guys as a kid. Nice. Uh, when I moved to Denver, I got into the AWA. When nice, Vern Gagne. joined the Vince Man went. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, it's live events, it's pay-per-view, it's merchandising, it's syndications, all kinds of interesting Every, stuff, oh, so yeah. let me try that. Now, I applied, and it turns out I was the only one that applied, so that's how I got the job. So, well, and, what and year was this? often do different things. <laughs> what year was this? Because uh, I, w- I want to get into that, because you, know, th- you just threw a fucking diamond <laughs> in the rough there. Um Working for WCW, I was I was a big fan of WCW back in the day. You know, I was watching that in the early nineties. Uh, 
Well, back when I was there, I, I, I got hired in 89. I was there in 89 to uh, 95. Really? So you were there when they signed Hogan and and pretty much everybody, you know, right before the, uh, the really the spark of the NWO. Yep, I, I, I was there for that. When I started, it was just when uh, Stan got uh, off his, uh, his knee injury, so he was the big star, Flair, the Steiner brothers, and then, of course, I was oh, there yeah. Kevin Nash and, and all yep. that stuff. And Barry, I let me tell you this. Dusty, you know, we... the, the music back then. Do you remember, like, Steiner, Remember that shit? Yeah, it was all awful. Oh, dude, it was awful, but it's like it's like the room. It's like good, bad, awful. You it's know, it's funny. Uh, so yeah. I got to butt in, Stretton here. Um, it was awful, but the thing is, if you let's say you're sitting in your car today, like this morning, and you hear any one of those songs, it suddenly oh, brings in this wave of a memory and emotion, and you just can't help but smile. I don't know about your experience back then, Barry. I'm sure you probably smile too, but. When I hear those songs, I and sometimes I think to myself, why am I reacting to this this way? But I am, and it's it is it is what you say it is, but it's still still like it, it brings up good yeah. stuff. It, there, you know, there's uh, I remember uh, the Sting, you know, a man called Sting. Like, it was so like just cheesy or whatever, but it was it cool. Was so awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was awful, dude. Another one of my favorites, and I don't. Uh, who was uh, Buff Bagwell and I think um, what was his name? He ended up going to ECW. Scotty Riggs when they were the American Males. American Males. American Males. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I I did everything I could to get him. I mean, the funny thing is, uh, just before I left, uh, uh, they, they got a guy uh, named um, Bob Mold. Bob Mold from a. Oh. Bob Mould was in Timekeeper. I, I, I was mentioning the radio show I did in 1992 uh, for Alternative Music, and, and Bob Mould was, uh, his band Cracker was, I mean, not yeah. Cracker, um, no. Sugar. Uh, Sugar was happening, and he was in Husker Du. Yeah, who, I was just going to say, dude, I'm a big punk guy. I was there, like, you're talking about so, the Bob uh, Mould, you know, from Husker Du. That's so, awesome. So I, I, I went to WC, and I said, do you know who you have here? You're doing as your Timekeeper. <laughs> Are you fucking serious? So, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it here first. Bob Mold was the WCW timekeeper. <laughs> this is this is correct, right? This is correct. I mean, when I came to him in '92, and then he, he went to WCW years later. In the interview, he mentioned that it was a huge wrestling fan. So we started talking oh about that God. in the interview, and then years later, I see him. Oh, oh my God! They're big as having as the timekeeper. Does Does anyone know who this guy? And they had no idea. He just and like, he, still... he flies and got his job as a freaking timekeeper. They waste him. Oh my god! Well, they wasted a lot of shit, but man, they wasted a lot of people. <laughs> man, that that you just blew my mind, dude. You just fucking blew my mind. Um, like I said, I'm a big punk guy, and going back to like, I love like the old hardcore and all that. And one of the bands, well, the band that is a result of that is Nirvana. You know, being a kid growing up and hearing Nirvana, obviously, probably when everybody did. Um, I, I think I was like nine or ten. And Nevermind came out. I still to this day remember that like summer, man, when that album was just white hot. And then being like at a yep. record store somewhere, and I saw Bleach, and I'm like, "What the fuck is Bleach?" You know, I was I was instantly turned on. And then I got into all these other bands in punk rock because of Nirvana. Like I'm a huge fan of Sonic Youth, The Meat Puppets, uh, Black Flag, 
the list, you know, uh, bad brains. The list goes on and on. But it is because of yeah, them. Henry Rollins is another friend of mine. But uh, oh. actually got me my yeah. Wrestling actually got me my uh, my interview with Nirvana the, the night before they went on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah. When when I was when I when I was a publicist, I I got this call one day from a guy named Rick Sobe, and he goes, "You don't know me. I I do tour manager for some bands out of Seattle. I'm a huge wrestling fan. I'm going to be at Knoxville. Anyway, you can cop me some tickets." And I tell you, it's Knoxville, it's not so bad. Who knows, he, he might do something for me in the future. So I said, sure. So I caught him those. And for the next couple months, I kept on getting calls. I mean, this time, you're, you're, you're lesson tonight, can I get tickets? And just before my job got eliminated from WCW, I was actually working on this idea for a show because I, being a friend of mine in New York, the work was small way, the third thing that in the bubble as well as the alternative music scene. So we came up with the idea, let's see if we can make a, a, an alternative syndicated radio show that, that will help spearhead all of these artists and songs getting played. Right. So all of a sudden, one day, Rick Silva, you know, he calls me and goes, hey, I'm managing this band. I think it's going to be a big deal. I'm going to send you their CD. It hasn't been released yet. So he sent me, I'm sure you can figure out, he sent me, uh, never mind. Yeah. I listened to it. I said, like, oh my God, this is going to blow the freaking lid right off it. we got to do our show right now, otherwise someone's going to get there to us. So I called him. He then arranged for for me to have an interview with them in their hotel room, and they were able to use that interview for our demo to try to get uh, a a syndication deal. Mm -hmm. So it was a fascinating interview. Uh, Mostly Chris Oveselling talked, but I did get to speak with with Kurt Cobain a little bit, and he just seemed so depressed about it. He's about to go on Saturday Night Live. Things about to completely take off for them. So I asked him about that. I said, what's so hard? You? Why, why you look like this? Like you're at, at, uh, at a dentist appointment. Yeah. And he said, we're, they said, we're taking off. This, this album's going crazy. All the people that hated me for years, spit on me, beat me up, are now huge fans. He hated that. He, he had, had such like, disdain yeah, for that. Yeah, because the hypocrisy of this is, is, is just too much. And I asked him, I said, well, yeah. you seem to be a smart guy. Why did you sign the major label, though, with Geffen? You could have stayed on, um, you know, on sub pop. Uh, 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 you could have stayed on sub pop and just been a regional band. Yeah. And he he goes, I have no answer for that. Really? <laughs> so, I mean, he he he, he kind of knew what he was doing, and then he regretted. So that that was my question. You you kind of knew that if everything went right, a major label can do the push, get you the tour, can get you get you airplay, and things could explode, and that's what happened. But then, by and, happiness, you know, <laughs> yeah. So he, he uh, basically, he's, he's kind of, I mean, I, I was kind of saying in a, a nice way, Ken, you're kind of whining and you, you knew that this might happen. Yeah, so but you guess, you got I that. Uh, I forget how bad. Right. You, but uh, uh, right out the gate, though, with you saying that, I mean, you, you got that impression. And, of course, at the time, you know, you didn't know anybody. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Um, but you kind of got that from Kurt that it was, you know, he was just, well, in in your opinion, and there's no knock. I don't care if you say other way or not, but um, he came across as a little whiny to you, or no, well, I, I don't really want to say he he came across he was extremely intelligent. I mean, there's right. no doubt the guy had no had no had had a super brain, was ahead of his time, brilliant songwriter, lyricist, right. knew what was going on. I, I just think he. he did you feel the torture? He knew what he was getting into. He just didn't want it once it was once he once it was happening. Yeah, and I think he would have preferred just being that no small regional band, no yeah. thing, and not have everything else that happened with it. Even See, though he kind of knew that was a possibility. Right, and my so, whole thing. Yeah, it, it came off a little whiny, like you kind of knew <laughs> that this would happen. You didn't mm-hmm. have to do it. 
But yeah, um, all the research yeah. and reading I've done, because like I said, I've been, you know, I got, I don't know, a ridiculous, like a library of stuff from newspapers, you know, magazines, all the books and all that shit. Because like I said, this, this was one of my heroes, you know, growing up. Um, I, I credit the reason I'm a musician right now to the man, you know, because he turned me on all this stuff. But uh, it's one of those things, and I can somewhat identify with it because it, it seems like too much. It's like everybody wants that. You want to be successful. You want to have money. You want to live your best life. But if you're doing something like that, it's maybe it's on somebody else's terms, if that makes sense. You know, like he's he's on this label. He's got to associate with yeah, he's got a shit ton of money coming in, but he's got associated with all these people he really doesn't like. You know, when you go back to talking like guys who are bullies, and I know that Kurt hated, you know, seeing the fucking jocks in the audience, like, why are you at my punk show? You know, like, he, he had a lot of integrity. That's why he would go on, like, a Saturday Night Live or MTV, whatever they did, and it's like, okay, play Teen Spirit. It's like, all right, fuck you, we're playing uh, Territorial Pissings, you know? Um, so stuff like that, I, I really get his point of view on that. But it's crazy from a guy who was there and that seen him and, and did that. You know, I totally would have been probably in the heat of the moment, like you too, like, man, this, what the fuck's this guy's problem? You know, like. Well, and to me, here, and there's a thing to think about that. Uh, the only member of any one of the Seattle bands, you know, that, that made it huge, so when that whole wave came up in, in 91, 92, is Eddie Vedder. I, I was just going to say it, yep. I mean, Chris Cornell is dead. And yeah. And Cornell. Dead. Yeah, uh, yeah. He Harry died. Is dead. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, Cornell, you know, he outlasted so much. And, that, and I'm glad you brought that up because to me, you know, when I got older, I loved Soundgarden back then. But Nirvana was my shit. You know, like when I was a little kid and especially when Kurt died, you know, as as much as it did for everybody, it affected a lot of people and it cut, you know, it stung. And there were people, you know, doing copycat suicides, which is, it, it's stupid, you know. I get it, though. I get it. You know, people are so hurt, they feel the need that they have to do that, that their whole reason and vice for living, the guy that was able to keep them afloat is now gone. So now they decide to take the same thing. I guess I get that. I really don't. But you know what I mean? I, I, I was telling Sretton earlier, or I, I'm a Libra. I'm pretty well balanced. I can see the good in both sides, you know before I cast judgment or a real uh, formative opinion on something. But um, the whole thing with Cornell was like, man, dude, like he survived all that shit. He was one of the few that survived. You know, I know he had an addiction back in the day, but I, as I got older, I loved the fuck out of Soundgarden because it was like Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, like had a rock and roll baby and it was fucking Soundgarden. You know, they were metal they were punk, you know, they were they were their own thing. The dude, I always call it Jesus Pipes. He had the Jesus Pipes, man, like a <laughs> Ronnie James Dio or some meets Robert Plant, you know, like it was just so amazing. And it, I when he passed, I hadn't really felt like that sting since like Kurt died, you know, because, man, Soundgarden, when they left us in 96 after Down the Upside, I believe it was 96. Um, people out there listening can correct me if I'm wrong. It was it was a huge shock because that was a killer record, and then uh, just call it quits after that because you know internal conflict whatever it was, it was just like okay for what twelve thirteen plus years we didn't have Soundgarden you know Cornell put out Euphoria Morning the solo record which I thought was brilliant um, still to this day I love rocking it uh, and then when I'll never forget in two thousand and ten when you know Cornell started tweeting out or doing the facebook whatever it was like you know knights of the sound table reunite 
you know, school's back in session. I'm like, oh, shit, dude. And then they dropped that B-side that they redid uh, that was on the Guitar Hero and all that shit, Black Rain. And I was like, holy fuck, they're coming out of the Doomy riffs. Cornell's got the godlike vocals. And I'm like, they were a super, really important band to me. So when when he when he died, that like that was like, damn it, dude. You know. Well, what do I have left from that scene? Because I was never a big Eddie Vedder guy, you know? Like, and it was just weird for Cornell. You never know, like, if these people are happy or what kind of substances or making them feel a certain way. To me, here's the interesting thing. There's a lot of other bands um, in Seattle at, at that time that everyone was going to forget was going to make it out first. I mean, the Melvins was actually what Kurt Cobain was. Yeah, was, was Buzz Osborne. Uh, yeah. Influences on, um, uh, on Nirvana. Then there was Bundle of Hiss, yep. Green River. Yeah. Uh, so all of those bands, uh, um, as far as I know, I mean, I haven't been tracking for a long time. As far as I know, there's been no death from them. Right. All the main ones, Alice in Chains, Mother Love Bone, you know, yep. Soundgarden. Nirvana, all of them, all their, their, their lead band are, 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 are all dead by you know, either suicide or... Or, or heroin. overdose. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, was a, it was just a weird... I mean, the Seattle scene was really interesting because you know, Seattle's where the, the whole coffee industry came from. Starbucks came from there. But yeah. never been to Seattle. It's, it's not Jimmy the fucking Hendrix, man. <laughs> they're, they're, so, they're always depressed and it's never sunny it's always overcast it's always yeah so I, I I always wonder if that I mean and then of course they started signing every band you know mm. the hottest you know, that's what the music business does they, they know everything because a cop to get oh it happens Georgia let's sign every band out of Athens yeah you know, the B-52s made it and then Marianne uh, makes it yep. so I mean they, they were they were probably fine when they were all doing their thing they, they all played with each other's band they they, they, they had a region where they did really well. They had right. a record label that did really well. They had community, uh, and yeah. And then one broke through, and then the net, the other, and the other, and the other, and they all became huge, and then now they're all dead. Yeah, and and you know, and to me, that was that was the last real, and I, hopefully it's not, but to me, it was the last real boom in rock and roll. The last thing that was really unique uh, and different. You know, I mean, the whole grunge alternative whatever you want to call it it was based in you know like 70s uh punk rock or in 80s punk rock um late 70s punk rock i should say and then in metal you know like and it came together as this thing but the one thing that was unique about that whole grunge scene was every grunge band was different okay so you had pearl jam who was uh, cast as the grunge band but they were your grunge rock band you had soundgarden who was your like grunge metal band Nirvana was your grunge punk band. You know what I'm saying? Like, they all kind of had these different things. And I don't, I really don't think a lot of those guys, I mean, you know, you've talked to some of them. And I know Cornell and them guys always hated the term grunge. You know, like, it was just, it was like this media thing that was thrust upon them. And it's like, all right, whatever it is, what it is. But, uh, well, it's, it's beginning the end of everything. It's once, exactly. you know, once the alternative becomes mainstream. This that, this was the whole reason I created or the show that I created. Uh, mm-hmm. Was I said, okay, there's some artists that have already broken through. There's there's a ton more that that should break through, and maybe they will, maybe they won't. Right. And that was the whole idea was to give I um, mean artists that you met that probably would never get a chance to. Yeah. Uh, and, and and you're right that there's no nothing. the main reason that nothing else is, is, is breaking through. It's almost the same thing in television. It's uh, not being pushed. They, they used, to, they used to be something called development. They used to have. I mean, Matthew Sweet was on was on my. I show. remember Matthew Sweet. That's awesome, dude. He. I remember the No Alternative compilation. 
Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I got those all the time. But yeah. it was like his fourth or fifth album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and his record label, those new records, they knew they had a talent, but they were going to let it develop. So they, they sent him on tour. They, they weren't going to push radio to play you know, a hit. Because if you push too early and it doesn't go anywhere, they won't give you another chance. No right, because they just album. spent all this money and you so know, they, they let it develop. They, they, and then all of a sudden, girlfriend came out in '92 to go. This is the yeah. song. It's got two or three songs that they're going to make it. They released the first you know, song. You know, girlfriend, it becomes a hit. Bam, Matthew Sweet makes. That doesn't happen anymore. No. So you have to have a ready-made hit before they even even talk to you. And, and nowadays, I don't even know how you get a, a hit because the number one revenue source is ringtones. Yeah, you know it's it's it's, it's not airplay. It's, it's not no, no one's buying vinyl. No one's even buying CDs anymore. Well, I, I don't know. The big band get tours. People people are buying vinyl like it, it, as a physical medium. People are vinyls back. I, I never thought I would see the day where it would have came back and kicked CDs ass, but it has. Um, I mean, we wouldn't have record store day, you know, and and a lot of that maybe Johnny come lately is that oh I need to I need to collect this because it's hip and it's cool. Whatever, they're still spending the money on it. Me myself, I did always like listening to vinyl. I mean, even in in high school, and you know, when I was younger, my parents would have vinyl on there. That's what I was accustomed to. And then, of course, we all you know got in the CD thing. It was convenient, and even even with digital, it's super convenient. But I still like the albums that I fucking really adore. I'm gonna buy it on vinyl because to me, I mean, how old is that medium? When we go back to when there was like cylindrical vinyl and shit like that, you yeah, know? it goes back to the twenties. Yeah, um, dude. But does, does anything go gold or platinum anymore? Where you actually have half a million sales, mm-hmm. or a million sales? Are you number one based on radio airplay and sales? I have no idea how they even keep charts anymore, or if that it's, even matters. It's so ridiculous now. And here's the other thing, though, as far as like integrity and just real music, there are some people out there, and you really got to search for it. And one of the guys I want to shout out to. Uh, my buddy Brad Vanderzee, who is a guy that I think has created the most original music that nobody has ever heard out of like blues, punk rock, uh, death metal, grindcore, and like poppy shit. Like he just, all that shit, I just, that you're probably sitting there like, well, that doesn't work together. He does it. And it's, he just needs the right people, you know? There isn't a lot of people willing to take chances on stuff anymore. And, and the music scene is so industrial and corporate nowadays. I mean, it's always been a business, but it is so much more business than it's ever fucking been. It's like what Barry just said. You well, yeah. to, if you want to have a hit, that own all the radio stations, yep. all programmed yeah. centrally before you can actually you know, get your EWAs on this station, and then if that does well, then it, then it may go to this one, right. and that's how you slowly build the territory until finally you're getting the big market. And, and that, I, I, I did that in '92 when I also worked for a record label that that Bowie was signed to. And I have no idea how any of that works today. And, and you're right. I mean, is there anything, even if it's something really good that's out now, is there anything that you've heard that you think, yeah, they'll be playing that 30 years from now? Yeah, it's very People hard to find. To I actually, to to cut the both of you off, I actually do think that nowadays there there is music out there. The thing is now... Uh, this like this time, and and it's like that. We we kind of had a short conversation off mic about the you know digital. Like we'll get into it uh, in a little bit, Barry, about like digital filmmaking, um, the uh, the access to any person with li- a literal voice, mm-hmm. um, an actual voice, not a, not something to say, but do, if you can talk, you can do a podcast. Like there's yeah. the the world has opened in that way that there is a there is a saturation of. Everybody of has a voice things. now. 
But like with music... <laughs> you know, as different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift-giving. Give scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. Two kinds of bacon and all kinds of delicious. Say hello to Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. I think that I think that we have a ton of music out there and a ton of it's good. A ton of it is bad, but there it's is like so movies. much good music it's out like there. It's like movies, though, Sretton, and I'm going to cut you off real quick because I know where you're going. It's, it's like fucking movies. Look how many remakes have been done. Right. There's a lot of good original ideas out there. No one wants to fucking take a chance on it because, hey, we could just get this license or we could reman in the music industry. We could remanufacture this yeah. fucking garbage. Well, it's, like what, it's like what Barry said. If, if you're for any medium that you're trying to do something, the people that have the big bucks, the people that want to invest tons of money in something, they want to do a ri- zero risk thing. You yeah. have to, if you're doing music, you have to have a hit something that's already a hit before you even put evil, it out. Dude. If you want to make it's a dirty movie, paper. yeah. If you want to make a movie, in the last week there's been discussion, or recently I should say, there's been a discussion about like Spider-Man suddenly has become relevant after Sony almost killed the franchise, and not for lack of a bad movie, but like. It's just the way it happened. Well, and now them through, and Disney aren't doing he's right. Out so of the they're MCU now. so they're Disney, fighting. Disney brought out Fox, so therefore, right? They got Deadpool, X Men. Go away, so right. So they're fighting. Yeah, they're fighting about it. Yeah, and it's all because it's a known. Yeah, and it's and you're right, Barry. It's all because it's a known hit. It's a known. Um, you can literally put out like three shit movies. And we will all spend money for those three shit movies. So there is there's zero risk. And there are like good intellectual property. I mean, Sony, to combat that, they put out Venom. But I I saw Tom McFarlane talking about that on the podcast. But I still do believe like there are certain pockets, if you can find them, that with Mm -hmm. especially with music, but also with like different there's podcasts out there with with people juice pro wrestling with uh, with (laughs) like really good voices, really good content. But there's musicians like I'm a massive fan of like uh, NPR does Tiny Desk Concerts. Barry, I don't know if you've ever heard of that or if you watch it or listen to it uh-uh. on YouTube. If you go on YouTube, look up Tiny Desk Concerts and whoever I know who does it, but I can't remember his name right now. But the guy that produces it, um, it's produced well. It's filmed well. The sound, the sound mixing is ridiculous. Whoever does their sound mixing, this guy's on another level. Uh, but but they do. It's a very eclectic mix of different things. So you can go from hip hop um last summer they they brought back they had cat stevens do a set but it's essentially like a show um where they do a a three song set in 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 an office like in somebody's office um but you can be exposed to all this cool stuff the good music is out there the obsessed artists they're out there Mm. i kind of think occasionally that kurt cobain would kind of be happy if he blew up today because you, there are ways. There are, it, yeah. That's a tough. That's yes, a tough. That is tough. Because I, 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 I see. I'm not sure because the main thing is 
the craft of, of either being a filmmaker or a musician is lost because now it's, everything is instant. You don't even have to sing on key because you yep. auto-tune. You can auto-tune it, yeah. I, I auto-tune with totally a garage agree. band that sucked and sucked and sucked until they got better at it because they worked at it. Yeah, right. My first film that I shot was on film. Which means when you're editing it, every time you make an edit, you're cutting. Cutting and pasting, like Frank Zappa. Literally cutting. Yeah. Frank Zappa used to do that. Because you can't just completely fix it if yeah. through, through a, uh, a, a digital program. Right. Mm-hmm. So you really had to know what you're doing. So I, I think the craftsmanship of making music and making films for a lot of people is lost because digital just compensates. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I'm a big analog guy, and I know uh, like Glenn Danzig does analog still. Uh, even if he does put out the last couple albums, sound like uh, he's recording a garbage can. But uh, whatever, that's what happens when you're big and you surround yourself with people. They're like, "Yeah, Glenn, it's great, it's great." Even though you know the songwriting, the material's great, but the recording's fucking dog dick. Um, well, I mean, it is, and, it's, and nothing can replace two amps. Nothing sounds better than a good system playing with vinyl. They haven't replicated. There's too much compression in digital. Yes, you know, it'll yeah. last a lot longer than your 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 tonal will eventually stress the crap out of your out of your record. True. But mm-hmm. they haven't made it sound better. I mean, the the, the stuff that was done 50, 60, 70 years ago is better. I mean, you you wanted a good amp, get a tube amp. Yeah. yeah. You want a good mic, get a tube oh, mic. Yeah. And it, it, just, it just doesn't sound as good. It doesn't look as good. I mean, I, I, look, I know I joined the dark side. I used to own a movie theater for nine years, and I had to sell it in July because the, uh, the ceiling was five foot five inches, and it killed my neck and back and shoulders. So now I work for Darth Vader. I'm a, I'm a manager at a big chain theater, and there's, there's nothing about being in, involved in the film business that's that. It's like working at an airport. So the people who are the corporate, I mean, they don't, I mean, it's all content. They don't yeah. care what they want. They don't give a two fucks. It's, it's all revenue stream. Right. <laughs> um, Barry, I, I want to touch real quick because you said you interviewed Soundgarden. Now, when was this back in like early 90s as well? Or That, that, that was part of, my, well, part of my radio show. Once again, once you cleared the New York market, and, right. and our syndicator said you have to clear New York City before. Well, we yeah, that's like Sinatra. Shout out to Nikita Once we cleared Bresnica. New York, we got anything we wanted. Every every radio no, record label would let us interview anyone. So we, uh, my partner and I, we got backstage with Lollapalooza. Hmm. So we were we were there when Soundgarden came on stage. We were there when Ministry came on stage. We were there when Red Hot Chili Peppers came on stage. And they were told, no, so we, we had our little bat you know, player microphone. So they they came up. I mean, I, I didn't get to uh, talk to Chris Cornell that much. I spoke uh, uh, mostly. Um, Kim? Oh God, my 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 brain is going. Kim Thale, the guitar player. Kim Thale, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, He's from Chicago. Same with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. The one I spoke most of was Chad Smith, the drummer. Oh, you but mean Will Ferrell, right? right? After they came on stage, you know, they're they're they're, they're bouncing. They're as high as you can get. Tube socks still on. Pardon me. I said their tube socks still on. Well, I, I, yeah, I wasn't looking just in case one fell that's off. That's right. I just <laughs> so that, I like that, to make funnies. The show had that kind of clout that we were able to get that level to speak to those type of artists right after they came on stage from from playing in front of you know, ten thousand people. Yeah, yeah. So 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 that was cool. I mean, we uh, I got to interview Lou Reed, you know, the the night after. Oh yeah, on stage with New York City. Nice. You know, Mike, Michael Hutchins with uh, with NXS. I mean, we, we got access to, you know, to any, obviously a lot of artists you never heard of. I mean, we did, I, I told you, I interviewed Bob Mould. 
Uh, I yeah. interviewed uh, David Lowry, who was originally in Camp of Van, uh, Van Beethoven, and was in, 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 uh, in Prather, which was having a big hit with what the world needs. So we, we got virtually any, and a lot of bands you never heard of that we were hoping. I mean, one guy uh, we interviewed was a guy named Greg Alexander, and then he had a, a massive one-hit wonder when he was in the, uh, the band The New Radicals. Yeah, holy shit. Year. I remember that. Yeah. So we had both. He had the solo artist. He didn't go anywhere. And then at that one, he had that one giant hit. And then I guess he fell off the planet again. But we interviewed a lot of artists that we thought we put on the show. We thought would make it big. And a lot of them yeah. did. Uh, now two bands we did interview and put on uh, actually helped break them. As far as since we were on New York radio, uh, they then added them to their playlist. They got play, uh, played at other labels. And that was the band Live. Oh yeah. I love you. Yeah, Did you got, say got, Wasp? Yeah, got to talk to Ed Kowalczyk. Oh, nice. Got got to speak to Johnny Rotten, you know, because uh, oh, uh, dude, the, I um, fucking Public Image Limited, you no know, line. Love the Sex line. Pistols, dude. Uh, oh, public, yeah, Public Image Limited. Uh, who, who is the man? The guitar player, the drummer. Um, God, I'm trying to think of his name. Anyways, so the, the guitar player was Keith Levine that had a huge falling out, and the last album they wiped off his entire guitar track and had someone else start again. But I, we just interviewed Johnny Rotten. Uh, yeah, I know one of those guys though was not Johnny. I mean, I'm I'm very familiar with Johnny, but as far as like public image goes, I, I'm not you know too keen on the members. But I know a uh, shout out to our homies out here in Valparaiso, Indiana, um, at Fluid Coffee Bar that had the dude out from Public Image, man, and like you know shit like that, super cool. But I was a big you know, like I said, Nirvana is what got me into punk rock. So, it, the I guess you could say the first official, like, actual punk album I owned, other than, like, Nirvana, which I consider punk, whatever, uh, was Nevermind the Bollocks, you know, Sex Pistols. Like, that was that album blew me the fuck away, you know? Well, yeah, me too. There's always a lot of argument. What was the first punk song? And I've always argued for a band called The Seeds. In 1966, they had a song called You're Pushing Too Hard. Okay. So go look it up on YouTube and listen to it, and then you tell me if you think that had the making. This is before the Ramones, so we Dude. also got the interview. Yeah, or punk Death. You're first. familiar with Death, right? The proto-punk band, uh, all black dudes from Detroit? Yeah, I mean, the the, the, the MC5, the Bad Brain. Yeah. Um, let's see, who else? Uh, Dude, I, I would even be. dare to say there's a lot. If you listen to I know they were more psychedelic or whatever, but there's some shit with the doors. Just because, you know, people think a punk is whatever, like, it, it's an attitude. There was some door shit, man, where you listen to the music's over, right? When the music's over, it sounds like fucking 10, 12-minute long opus. It's it's great. But at the end, I mean, they're even, dude, the first time maybe a blast beat was recorded for all you death metal and grindcore fans out there is, you know, you hear that ta -ta 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 on the drums, like, holy shit, like, was that the original blast beat before Napalm Death, you know, like... Uh, well, I, well you, you have a point. A lot of the concerts, there were riots. So that, that could have been the, the first um, you know, pogo dancing. So right. And once again, it's, it's, it, to me, it's always a fun argument. I mean, even even a genre I hate, like disco, what kicked that off? Blondie? And I also have a song that I actually like called uh, Rock the Boat by the Hughes Corporation. Okay. No, and and then it turned into, you know, bland, you know, just you know, horrible stuff like do the hustle and just oh, yeah. nonsense. But I mean, <laughs> once again, someone did something slightly different. And then it, as we talked about earlier, it just became completely appropriated in terms of bland nonsense. Oh, yeah. I mean, That's it, why they had the, the disco burn up here at uh, the old Comiskey Park in Chicago. Steve Dahl, I don't know if you're familiar with him. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I used to I have the disco demolition. High school in the seventies, and I hated disco. And I became a punker instead. I said, yeah. yeah, the Ramones. Two minutes. Oh, song, dude. I fucking love the Ramones. Yeah, yeah. Now I want us this glue. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. I man, I th- and you know what? Think of like, there's not very many bands when you think, and not to be like morbid, I guess, but uh, where all the whole band's dead. The whole original, you know, there's no Ramones, original Ramones left. So for all you smart marks out there, they're going to listen to this. Oh, well, you still know what he's talking about. Hey, fuck you. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm aware of CJ. I'm aware of Marky, you know. But the, all the original Ramones are gone, you know. Like, think about it, really. How many of these original bands? Fuck, the Beatles. Even they're all still alive. Well, not all still alive. I mean, half of oh, them half are still them. alive. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got cut up. I'm drinking this Three Floyd zombie <laughs> dust. But you know what I'm saying? Like... A band that fucking huge and influential, and they're all gone, man. No more. That's that's weird. That it, it, I don't know. It always did something to me because I love. To me, the Ramones were the Beatles. Yeah, they were like the Beatles of fucking punk rock, man. Keith Richards is immortal. Yeah, Keith Richards is never gonna die, dude. He's gonna be like a fucking. Remember uh, Futurama, where they have like the floating heads in the fucking thing. <laughs> that's gonna be Keith Richards, like smoking still in that liquid somehow. Well, that, 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 that's a good segue. I can give you a good car story because I used to live in a, um, the building where I was nice. in uh, one part of Boston called Vaseline Alley. There were the bands of all the Atlantics. And they were supposed to be the big next thing um, out of Boston in the late 70s. And a couple of them lived in my building. And they were friends with the car before Rick their first albums were gone. So the, the cars in the Atlantics were sitting on my front step, you know, you know, drinking, doing stuff. And at that time, I had a, a two jobs. My night job was a security guard where I had to fit my 1976 Gremlin uh, in a parking lot <laughs> down the bank. Not against, not, not against robbery, but against, you know, this is the worst part of Boston. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm throwing bricks to the all-class bank. Yep. So I'm walking down the stairs, you know, my stupid, my little stupid fake cop outfit, and Rico Catholic hands me a plate of little mandarin oranges with toothpicks in them. I go, what's in this? As long as I think this, you know, this soaking with brandy. So I know I had a couple, and like I said, my job was all night sitting in my car watching the spank, and what he didn't tell me was it was actually soaking with organic mescaline. Oh! <laughs> so you're sitting in a car in the worst part of town, and my job was, if I saw something happen, this was obviously way before cell phones, to run across Morrissey Boulevard, which is a highway to a payphone, mm. to call the police, and now I'm tripping balls. <laughs> So, so to this day, if I ever find Rico Catholic, I'm 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 not gonna dash out. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right there with you. That. You don't give someone, you know, drug them up, LSD or anything without knowing it first. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You can't dope. So that's like that's like slipping someone a roofie. Essentially, you know, you're lucky your butt was protected. Right. Uh, well, I, I'm just lucky that no one set up the bank that night. <laughs> I mean, I can't remember, or that I was, I mean, what was I gonna do then? So, you know. You, I and mean, it was the job was scary enough as it is. Okay, I, I you know I see a whole bunch of guys about to throw bricks to a building. I'm going to run across the you know even in the middle of night a busy highway to go to a payphone looking like a, a cop. Yeah, that's going to work. Yeah, yeah. Now try doing that when you're high off no 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 high off your ass and you're not expecting to. Right. I mean, I used I used to slip blockheads sometimes just to stay awake. <laughs> that's that's how horrible that job was. So. Yeah. Uh, Barry, let me but, ask yeah, you. That, that was, Yes, uh, about your relationship with Henry Rollins, since you brought that up, because uh, Henry is also a huge fucking influence on me, like uh, just uh, personally, professionally with my band. Uh, like, you know, growing up, I was always a big fan of like these dudes that just look like the they were the rock stars. They were huge, but they were like the tough motherfuckers, you know, like Henry Rollins, Glenn Danzig. Like I still to this day, 
I, I call I always call them the Rollins shorts. I go out, you know, you'd always come out shirtless and wear no shoes or socks and just like the the boxing shorts, you know, the gym shorts or whatever on. I mean, I I, I do the same thing, and that's in tribute uh, to Henry Rollins because for one, I'm a huge Black Flag Black Flag fan and a Rollins fan, dude. Like, and I love his stand up, dude. He's very articulate. Like, the man has lived some fucking shit. Like. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with fucking Hank. Well, I met him. This is another weird job I decided to take. But once again, I was living in Atlanta before. You know, I was working down at uh, over CNN and WCW. I had some weird jobs. And one of the weirdest was I was a bouncer at a neo-Nazi skinhead bar. And I'm just... Oh, God. Um, I, I, would, I was a lot bigger then than I am now. And I would actually, just for, just for a sec, I would wear no my star David necklace for all to see and, and the Rollins band was booked there one night nice. I mean some neo-Nazi skinhead did like the Rollins band no. so he actually saw you know going in you know, here's this guy wearing you know, he knew what kind of bar it was and he saw my star of David and he saw that I didn't get into any fights with any neo-Nazi that they actually respected me because I, I told him I'm not here to kick your ass unless you force me to and said you want to you know Goose-step, decal, do whatever, but no slam dance, they're fine, just don't do anything you can't do here. Yeah. And, we're, and so they realized, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not that guy, so that's how I first met him, and we started talking that night, and then years later when I became a filmmaker, um, my mentor is a guy named Rich Smith, and he did a brilliant film uh, in the early 70s uh, called Emerald City yeah. that featured some uh, live um, punk um, from Flipper and the Mutants. Yeah, I love Flipper. And dude. yeah, and so I, had, I actually, you know, I got um, Henry Rollins' email, and I said, "I got this film I want to show you." So he gave me the dress, and I sent it to him, and he, and, and he you know, emailed back. So that was awesome. So we just started, you know, email back and forth. I tried to find some way to get him involved in some of the things I was doing when I worked for WCW later than films, and it never happened. But I, I wanted to get him at my film festival, but I started in uh, Rome, Georgia, because once again, he's also an actor. Oh yeah, uh, dude! I like so the chase. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to act like we're we're best buddies, but we have communicated over the years. And like I, I've never worn it out by constantly bothering. Same with Kevin Smith at first. I nice. met him a long time ago when his first film. He's doing my uh, first film was at the film festival in New York. You know, he's redoing. Uh, he's writing the new He Man for Netflix. He's he's doing all kinds of yeah. things. Uh, yeah, he's he's got some cool shit. Yeah, he he he. he, he we invented him in a lot of these. He's responsible for the you know, for this next big wave of independent filmmaking. Oh, came for out. Wow, sure. I can use my I can use a bunch of credit cards and make a film about all kinds of weirdness in my head, and it'll it'll make it big. No, it won't. Yeah, that doesn't happen that often. Just like Nirvana doesn't happen that often. It happens when you've got lightning in the bottom and do something really really great. Same thing with Tarantino, man. After that, but never anything close, right? Yeah, yeah, they'll never, they'll never be. That was a fucking movement, and you know, and that movement had started. People may or may not want to believe this, but it was before Nirvana. There was, there was that buzz. You know, you were around back then. You know, uh, but they were the ones that really sealed the deal. Once, like, because, and it all goes back to the songwriting. Like, Kurt was a fucking ingenious songwriter. Yes, it was simple, but hey, you know, motherfuckers, like, you ain't knocking the Ramones. Their shit was simple as hell. It was just fast, and it was good. Like, um, it was super simple. It was super honest. It was really, it was deep, even though I think he, uh, you know, he would always be like, oh, music's always the main focus. It's not lyrical content. But, you know, 
hindsight's twenty twenty. You go back and you look at a lot of shit. There's there's a story there, you know. Um, but yeah, man, that that well, was. You, 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 I mean, you brought up the Doors, which to me is a great uh, comparison to Nirvana because they yep. lyrically they were just way ahead of everybody oh, else. Yeah, I love, dude. No one here gets out alive. Have you read that book? Oh yeah. Oh, I love it, dude. I became obsessed with the Doors in like. I'm 36 now, so we're talking probably freshman year of high school, and like still to this day, dude, it blows. They blow my mind, and not just Jim Morrison, you know, but all of them. Their the whole group together was something super great. And it's also cool because Ray Manzarek's a Chicago guy, you know. So we got that. Well, I mean, is this an interview? I mean, you have John Densmore, who was basically a jazz drummer. He was, yeah. Like Charlie Watts is. Um, yeah, yeah. You have Roddy Krieger, who was a oh, you know, flamenco. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And 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 Van Zarek, who basically played by carnival type keyboards, and then Jim Morrison and that the, almost Sinatra like voice. Sinatra and, and very haunting. Voice. Like that band would not make it today. No, no, I did. I, I don't think now, so. People go, what the hell is this? But but their sound is so iconic, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of bands, I don't know if you're familiar with like a band now that's kind of popular, like a metal, they're metal-esque, uh, Ghost, you ever heard of those guys? No, but I'm, a, I'm an old fart and I'm completely out of the loop. <laughs> oh, it's good. I mean, they're they're like, uh, they're kind of like a King Diamond maybe meets The Doors meets uh, Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, See, you, you, would have, you would have been good in the music promotion business because that's how you had to sell a new band to a record label. No, you had to know. Here's a new band. Well, you better give me some comparisons that makes me oh, familiar yeah. with it. Stuff you say. Oh, it's like the Wonder stuff meets you know, the Ramones. Yeah, yeah. Huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, Barry. Barry, let me let me. I want to interrupt with a question that after you guys have been talking about music for so many minutes, I I really am interested in this. Uh, so what what band or what bands or what genre do you frequently revisit? Like when you get in your car or you have to do something around your garage you go in that or, wormhole, or yeah. something like what do you frequently revisit? Like what are some of your favorites? What do you get into? What do you, you know, if you have a couple glasses of wine or if you're doing something, what's, what's the band that you either seek out live, like to go see a concert or, or when you're at home, like, you know, what, what are some that, of your that's, favorites? That, that's a great question. And, and basically, uh, my favorite groups are ones that really defy genre. As much as I love punk and I love, you know, when they call it New Wave, the bands that I like in, in all those things that you mentioned, uh, you may not even heard of them. One is, uh, they're not really around anymore, although the, the members are, is, is an Australian band called Dead Can Dance. Never heard of them. Hmm. There is okay, an Australian Dead, band no called Buffalo that I like. Uh, basically, uh, the, the, uh, the, the male and female lead singers, uh, Brendan Perry and Lisa Gerard. Brendan Perry sounds, once again, this is going to be like, you know, this person we said, Frank Sinatra meets Jim Morrison. Mm. And and their music is a combination of uh, South African polyrhythms, uh, Middle Eastern chords, you know, Italian opera. <laughs> I mean, there's just nothing like them. There's, there's no other, this, this is their sound. And in concert, they're absolutely, oh, they were absolutely brilliant. And like I said, there's no genre. They're not rock. They're not soul. They're not punk. They're not new wave. They're not jazz. They're dead condemned. And uh, the other band that I really really like is called Spiritualize. Uh, they're basically one guy that's constantly changing his bandmates, and, and his name is uh, Jay Spaceman. He's originally a band called Spaceman Three, and it, a lot of it was. It's not really techno. It's not really how. It's once again, it defies. I mean, he uses a lot of gospel type you know, chords and, and songs, and, and he puts a real 
heavy. <laughs> you know, as different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So, stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift-giving. Give scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery! Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. Canadian bacon and hardwood smoked bacon. Or Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Get $2 off a large bacon duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. Guitar and synthesizer riffs over it. Okay. So, I mean, so I, I, I just love bands that just define, I mean, Wilco is probably the most uh, well-known well man that I think, you can't really describe them, are they? They're called alt-country, but they're not yeah. really. They're kind of punk, yeah. but not really. They're rock, but not really. I mean, they're, Not everything they're, you they're can just, put a full label on. You, know, you have to do that thing where it's, well, they sound like this guy, this guy, or that band, that band, that band, all together. You can't just say, well, it's grunge, or it's alternative country, or it's, you know... That's the one thing that I believe the industry loves to do because it narrows shit down, makes it more marketable. This is what <laughs> this is what I was going to say. Exactly. Like exactly, it's, it's it's product then. Yeah, right. yep, yep, words, yep. A market product, you have to be able to label it so it can be mass produced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and then you kill the soul. I mean, I heard you know, getting back to the cars. I heard their demo album so before you know, wow. it, it, they 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 put them in the studio with a with a swift producer. And even though I like the product afterwards. It lost you know, that real rugged edge. It should have had Steve Albini, man. Boston Beer. We went to a place called the Rat Skeleton. It was mm-hmm. called the Rat. The, the dive bomb. And that's where they played all the time. And they were great. And then it all smoothed out. So they became hits. Yeah. I, I do believe so. You were saying earlier, like back back when you're back when you were trying when you had your radio show and and uh, and you were trying to feature grunge and bands that people haven't heard of. One of the things that people did have skills and people that are deep into music that do have a, a skill that they have is that thing where you can compare a new band and say, "Well, give me a taste of like what that is," mm-hmm. and you say, "Well, it's a marriage between this and that." That is something that is rare. I still I still would have the argument musically. Um, there are a lot of really, really good bands out there that nobody's heard of. There's a lot of really good new music, music that has come out, you know, today. That's, that's coming out tomorrow. That's coming out in the la- that's come out in the last year. But what I do think, and I would like, and I like to make that argument that we are in a particularly wonderful time if you're a music lover because you have access to everything before. Like for the history of music, everything that's mm-hmm. been recorded, we have access to all that. But then there's a bunch of obsessed musicians that are creating new stuff that is really good. And but, they learn from the best, and it's like ridiculous. Like a guy who grew up watching Eddie Van Halen now, all right. of a sudden it's like he's got like 80 fingers and he's just yes, blowing it for up. For sure. You know? But what is what is massively lacking, in my opinion, is people that could actually communicate to you. The soul, man. Like, hey, listen to this band because this, this, and this. A lot of these guys that either have like you know one of the last magazines running or like uh, There's some, no some TV it's channel. All fluff. Well, uh, no, like the, Even the promotional promotion. people. He, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You yeah. have to have soul. That's I why think, I I pride ourselves on what we do because we got motherfucking soul. Yeah. yeah. I I think the the obsessed music fans are lacking. Like me, I'm in my I'm in my early sixties and, and I hate always go back to the old days, but. It, 
you can listen to something on the radio, then you like it, then you go in the record store to get it, and the record store might be playing something you never heard before. Oh, mm-hmm. what's right. that? And you ask the guy what it is, yeah. and then now if you're buying an album you've never heard before. Right. And, I mean, now that there's, I, I don't even know exactly where to listen. I mean, I know it's out there, and I, I'm just, I, I hate people to get off my lawn, guy, but I turn into that. <laughs> I mean, I don't Hey, there's nothing wrong with a fucking shotgun. <laughs> So I, I, I guess I, I have another. So so based on the timeline of your history, so you did some work. You did some stuff with WCW, right? Um, and then and then you, you know, and then it transitioned or, you know, it overlapped where you did um, the radio show, which is amazing. I'm a huge fan of any any kind of radio production. I'm, I'm a talk show guy, obviously. Um, but then how did you because you're a filmmaker, you produce film, you make films, you. Um, I, yeah. I mean, wh- can you talk a little bit to, to, uh, like how, how did that, um, we're huge fans of, at the JP dub, like we're huge fan of makers, like anybody that's making things and, and, and like tries to create some sort of entertainment product. Like how did you, how did that happen? Well, like I said before, I'm, I'm kind of an opportunist. I got into uh, creating the radio show when I knew my gig at WCW was about to end. Yeah. And often it did. I moved to New York and me and my partner put the show out. When, after 12 weeks, the show ended, not because of that it wasn't doing well, but that the syndicator, you, know, told, you, you make money in syndication when you have that 80% of the major markets covered, and then you can sell advertising. Mm-hmm. Every week, they always got you 20 more stations, 30 more, and after 12 weeks, we finally got our lawyer to get them to real. They only took our show because they were selling the company, and they took us, so to increase the sale price. Yeah. So we weren't in any of those major markets, except the one that my partner and I cleared, New York, Orlando, and Hartford. So now we have to shut down the radio, uh, our show, even though it was a critical success because we weren't making any money. We're that happened pretty, what, at that what time, do I want to do next? at that so time, but right be before the, sorry, Barry, at that time when the internet was start, sort of starting to like tiptoe around things and that as far as like radio content, that didn't exist. But back then in the, no, in not, the early, no, t- not, in, not, the, in the mid nineties, in the mid nineties, stuff like that happened all the time. Had to clear no New York, no yeah. uh, Miami, Detroit, Chicago, all of Dallas, and then you're eighty percent of those. Then there's advertising all the way to go to be companies or so. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're like the example that you give happened a lot, a yeah. lot, a lot nationally to a bunch of different radio stations, and always people getting bought out, and you never know. It's like sometimes you get you the get the blaze. news in the well, in well, the syndicated didn't even try. They, they right. didn't even. Their job was to get our show on the market, and they weren't going to try because they were they were for sale. So why are they going to work their asses off to try to clear our show so so we can get advertising if they just wanted to increase the sale price? Right. Right. So we we had to stop the show, even though it was you know there's the even though it was on these crappy markets, other than the ones that my heart and I cleared, I mean, we got written up in Billboard, we got written up in Radio and Records, all the major you know, uh, user trades saying, this is the, the new coming of, of the alternative music scene. So critically, we were huge, and unfortunately, it was costing us $2,000 a week out of our own mm. money to produce it, but we had to pay our host, we had to pay, you know, you talk about engineers, we had a top engineer in the business you know, to, uh, to do the show, and Who so was we that? had to stop it. So I, hmm? Who was that? Uh, his name was uh, Mitch. I'm trying to remember his last name. It was like Mekatansky. He, he worked for Sony. I mean, uh, the, the Bob Fest that was on television in, in 1992, he did all the audio for it. He was just brilliant. And, I mean, he was considered the absolute best audio you know, engineer in the business. So he engineered our show. And for all the weird things that we did, it took someone like him to be able to do it. Um, so, I mean, we, 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 we did any crazy thing that came out of our head, you know, we're, they're trying to make people 
we, we, whatever we could think of, uh, we, we did some really funny shit. And I got, I mean, I, I got clearances from, um, Warren Michaels, he's a snippet from, uh, Saturday Night Live show with the Winers. Nice. Um, I know, nice. uh, uh, William and Wendy Winer, my not Wally King. So we come out of a break, <laughs> go right to them, a snippet of them, right, right into a song by Morrissey. But we didn't know people would get that because people always used to claim, you know, Morrissey is a whiner. Yeah, yeah, he matter. fucking is. But we thought it was funny. You know, we, yeah. we, we, we played the song, you know, um, Smith Lightning Lightning, Lightning. you know, by the, uh, the Lightning Seed, and we got permission, you know, to use the opening from the, the 50 show, which started William Bendix, The Life of Riley. Come out of a break, play that song, <laughs> right into the Lightning Seed. I love so that. We did. Yeah, everything I mean, we, about we, what we, you we, just we, said. We, we did stuff like that. We we, we segued from uh, the practice of uh, what the world needs now because it's what the line says. No, no, no another uh, Frank Sinatra like I need a hole in my head. We then segue to a few seconds of actual Frank Sinatra singing. No, I did it my way. Segue to that of Stick Vicious, no, the, uh, from, from the Sex Pistols, singing mm-hmm. his version, no, Ray Gretz, I had a few. I mean, this is the type of stuff we would do. Right. Just to get people into the, the hour of our show to listen to all the other stuff that they haven't heard before. So, <laughs> when, uh, so when we had to end that show, and I said, I, what do I want to do now? I said, make so. Go into a, uh, you know, a, a bookstore and get a book I found called Get Your Phone Making a Used Car Price. I, I read the book, thought it was brilliant, tracked down the uh, the author, who I mentioned before, Rick Schmidt, he did the film that had you no know, flipper and the mutant. Mm-hmm. I said, I love your book. And, and he goes, okay, well, come on here, and let's make a phone together. So I was working for WCW, and though at that time I, I went back to Atlanta, was working with WCW, now I'm actually their overnight syndicated show, Kate Dubber, a horrible job. <laughs> Uh, uh, worked all night one one weekend. Uh, what are you? Are you, are you talking about Saturday Seattle, night? Hmm? You were you talking about WCW Saturday night? Yeah, yeah I, I mean after I, after you know, I, my job got eliminated, go to New York to do the radio show. That hands go back to Atlanta, become the overnight Kate Dubber. Yeah, <laughs> I did. You know what though? I'm glad you said that because and we'll. I want to get back into your film stuff, but real quick, uh. I love WCW Saturday night, Saturday night from like the early 90s, 92, 93, and then the flair for the gold and all that. I want to get into that next. Yeah, but that, it, that, that was actually on CBS. That wasn't a syndicated show. We had uh, main event wrestling. I remember I, main I, event. I think the name of the three shows were. Yeah. But anyways, go back to what you were saying. The little nothing markets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All over the country. Well, well, well sir, go back around to that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and no matter what I do, it's like the mafia. No matter how much I try to get out, it pulls me back here. Yeah, right. So, um, yeah, come here, dig it. So I, I, I ended up you know, making my first film, though, after you know, being up all night doing tape dubbing, you know, taking three planes, driving from Seattle to Port Town, which was a couple of hours. Made my first film with him called Blues for the Avatar. We got into film festivals all over the world, including one where I met Kevin Smith, where he had clerks. Uh, and from that, I came up with the idea of making a film festival in, uh, in, uh, in Georgia and got a master's degree in film studies at, at Boston University and ended up buying a, a movie theater in Brunswick, Maine. Nice. What was the name and of that theater? I was theater? in Boston, Massachusetts, working uh, for AMC, you know, the big corporate oh, God. <laughs> American cocks. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I mentioned that one of the films I did make, which has been heavily pirated, was uh, when I decided I was going to be a filmmaker, I'm not going to take any real job. I ran out of money, and then I ended up being a bill collector for one month. 
And I hated every second of it. It's yeah. horrible. I mean, but, so, but I made a film about it called Dead Beats. And Dead Beats starred Mick Foley and a very, very young Melissa McBride, who's now one of the stars of The Walking Dead. She plays Carol. So once you mm-hmm. found that out and started pirating the film, there's actually entire websites where they do screen grabs and translate my dialogue on each screen. Don't you got copyright like, claims or some shit on that? It's boutique business. What's that? It's, it's, it's its own business unto itself. I don't make a nickel from it. You can Google it. Google uh, Deadbeats and then just put Melissa McBride and see how many websites come up. I mean, just, just dozens of them. Facebook pages from yeah. all over the world. I mean, Brother, you need to talk to a fucking lawyer. So, so and, and not only that, I found out that every collection agency is also downloaded because it's must viewing. And how many, uh, because I, I actually teach you how to be a bill collector because that's uh, Mick Foley plays a guy, I mean, and here's another funny story about it. Uh, I'm really proud of the opening scene that I wrote where Vic is, he has binoculars, he's scoping out a fast food restaurant. He sees this huge black guy walk in there and he goes around to the drive-thru and he goes, hey, see that big black guy? That's my partner. He's going to shoot your ass once you give me all the money in the register and a couple of Polish dogs. <laughs> yeah, so a couple of Polish. The crew that worked on my film, uh, months later, worked on a film starring George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez called Out of Sight. Yep, yep. And that movie is completely based on an Elmore Leonard book, and it's completely yep. true to the book, except for one scene where uh, George Clooney goes into a bank, and he goes to the teller and goes, see that guy talking to your bank president? That's my partner. He's going to kill him. They he's took that the shit from you? I... They I took mean, that I fucking shit from you. It, hey, hey. I ain't going to put you in the hot seat. I'm going to say it for you. So it's not you saying it, but they fucking stole from you. You need reparations, dude. Jennifer Lopez well, blow, 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 always heard blow up. I can't copyright an mm-hmm. idea. So even though I, I'm pretty sure they got it from my film, I can't. I mean, even I, I, not, I, I actually you know, wrote uh, Danny DeVito's company, his production company. Hey, at least give me screen credit to that. Yeah, yeah. You know, but if they if they did that, then they would be on the hook for all you know any monies or all residuals. So the only thing I could do was pat myself on the back. Well, I'm fuck it. Yeah, sure I wrote a scene in the basic yeah. motion picture. No one can argue that influence. <laughs> I mean, I can't. You know? I I uh, again. Oh, and, and, and my other claim to fame, I've been an extra in two films, and both of them grossed over a hundred million dollars. Uh, one was Sweet Home Alabama, that was Reese Witherspoon, and the other was Adam Sandler's Clone Ups. So I'm two for two as an extra. Nice, <laughs> nice. I, I have so a I question. You said, "Why you film to make hundred million dollars? Hire me in the next." Put me in the background. Yeah, I made five bucks. So, uh, you you mentioned, uh, unfortunately, you had to uh, uh, sell your movie theater recently, but um, you also did a film festival. How long did you do that for? Because it seems like you did that for a very long time. Well, um, I, 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 I started in Galanica, Georgia, because uh, Galanica looked a lot like my favorite film festival in Portugal. And that ran for three years, uh, and then I, I moved to Rome, Georgia. The reason why I moved, it was two reasons. One, the National Alliance, which is the largest neo-Nazi group in the country, they were getting neo-Nazi kids, threatened my life because they said, you know, they, I don't know how they found that I was Jewish, because I don't look typically Jewish, um, or whatever that means. And, and then the town decided that this festival was making so much money, we're going to charge them for everything. So they, there was a ticket surcharge, the rental for the movie theater went up from 500 to 5,000. Jesus and they even called the ATF on me one year. What uh, the fuck? <laughs> you know what? So I, hmm? I, uh, I would, 
I would murder every one of those last ones. We're just grum- we're wanted, just angrily grumbling. So I, I moved it to I moved it to Rome, Georgia, and I and I ran it. To, so I ran the tolls uh, the two towns, Alonica and Rome, for seven years. It's still going strong in Rome, Georgia. It's not quite as big as when I ran. I'm always over ambitious. I would have 180, 190 films in five different venues. They do like 40 films in one venue. Right. So I mean, but it's it's still there, which is I mean, it's a small town, only thirty thousand. So to have a film festival in Rome, Georgia, that still exists, that I founded and ran, is you know I I mean I'm I'm very very happy that it's still going. But like I I never do anything half assed. I I do everything full my show. I mean, okay, yeah, we're dude. gonna have two hundred films, four days, five ten years. We're gonna go crazy. Yeah, we're gonna get fucking jacked. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and one of the early films we showed is a brilliant film from New Zealand called Two Cars, One Night. And the director of that is the guy who went on to direct uh, Thor Ragnarok. Good, because uh, I Taiwan, thought you were going to say Taiwan, Two Girls, One Taiwan Cup for Kiki. a second. <laughs> Thor Ragnarok. The, the yeah, Z- that was the last Thor. It was yeah, Kiki or, uh, yeah. I'm it was really that. good. That was the best Thor movie so far. The first one was boring bullshit. You, know? you said that was that one of his first films. He, he, he did a he did some uh, television, but yeah, this, uh, he did, he did a bunch of uh, short films in New Zealand, and, and one of them, Two Cars, One Night. Yeah, yeah. He submitted Night Seven to my film festival, and he showed up there, and I said, "This guy's getting out." I had no idea he was going to become a giant, you know, yeah. major, you know, superhero of the four hundred million dollar budget guy. Yeah, yeah. He's got a new uh, movie coming out called JoJo Rabbit, where uh, he plays um, a Hitler's ghost type of thing. Oh Back my god! Again. I watch everything goes back to matches. It's it's his little young kid Hitler, mm. who, who his imaginary friend is Hitler. <laughs> That's it's, weird. You got look at the trailer for that. Jojo Rabbit. It's hilarious. I mean, I I I got to go see this movie. Yeah. I mean, and there's, of course, a, none, there's it, always some Nazi Zealand, shit. All the little German kids are speaking with a New Zealand accent. You know, and I, I think a lot of the reason that for and you know, and no insult to you or any anybody that's Jewish, because I I ain't got you know, I got a lot of love in my heart for anybody that's a real cool motherfucker. You know, um, I think a lot of that obsession when it comes to entertainment is just because it. If you think of any story, whether it's fictional or nonfiction, they probably end up as like the biggest, most ultimate fucking villain. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that shit's just, uh, it's a whole nother level. Like there's, you know, you got all these Nazi zombie movies and then, you know, Tarantino's doing movies and they got the Nazis in them and all this shit. So. That's just my yeah, take. Yeah, and the Jews kill all the Nazis, so I like that movie. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, what they called the Jewish bear. What was Eli Roth? What the bear, like, the bear, the oh, bear no, Jew? The, 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 what's about the Jew bear? The yes, Jew yes, bear. Yes, that's yes, it. The, the Jew bear. Jew, no, the he was just brutal as fuck, dude. Just mutilating people with like a yeah, bat no, he, or he, something. That's my hero, and I'm bigger than he is. <laughs> You're bigger than him. I'm bigger than Eli. Well, I, I was. I'm, I'm slimming down now that I can't uh, handle that uh, that level of weight anymore with all my back, uh, with all my back, my neck problems. Yeah, I used to be a lot. Yeah, my back, my neck. I used, to be, I used to be six five. I'm now down to six three. I used to be two seventy. Now I'm down to about you no know, two fifteen. But yeah, I, damn, I, I weigh I'm more than you. Taking on back in the day. Hell yeah. Hey, uh, so real quick, I want to circle back uh, around uh, to the WCW again, if you don't mind. Um, sure. So after, I mean, it still blows my mind that you worked for them, and it, like, and that was prime time. I mean, I I loved like that era of WCW, and of course everything that came after. Up on, fuck, I liked it even at the end when you know a lot of people said it was god awful, and it was a pretty bad product. But, um, 
So you, uh, just to reiterate, you covered from when? What would you say, 90 to 95? I'm 80, 89 and 95. 89-95. So you were there. You became friends with, uh, like, who Who were some of your boys that you would say, um, after your experience in WCW, that you took away from that, that you still well, talk to today? Well, well I said, uh, no, uh, no, Mick Foley and I you know, stayed, you know, stayed in contact, especially after he wrote books and then I wrote. So, uh, yeah, I got a, a few of them. sent it to him and he said he loved it. And, and he started my movie Deadbeats. Mm-hmm. So I, I kept in touch with him. Obviously, you know, you, you know about the other one, Sid Vicious. Uh, we we've been mm-hmm. friends for you know for you know, for twenty seven years. He was a hard person to make friends with until I you know, brought a Man, softball. And, how and intimidating! That, that, <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say uh, that. No. Softball. We only play hardball here. I know. Here. I know. Um, <laughs> thing and I were, were, not, were more. I mean, there's really no one else I stayed in touch with. You know, uh, I, I learned this thing a few times over the years, and, and he actually came up to me and he apologized. He goes, you know, none, "None of us knew you know, how important you were to what we were doing. Yeah. Uh, we just were we were all bastards back then. We didn't want to be bothered by anybody because I'm the guy that told you, know, you got to call this radio station up at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you were the PR or, man. But then when I started getting them cast in movies and films, then they all called, no, then they all came around. Mm. Then I was the guy they, they, they wanted to see. Hey, can you get me on this show? Can you get me in that movie? Hey, you're my man. Now, when you were in I mean, there, I, though, I got, who was I running? I Kevin Nash, Captain, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, so dude, you did? Dude, that's his big role. He gets. I know he gets livid. Everybody was asking about, like, oh, what was it like to be fucking Super Shredder? <laughs> that was that was the turn point of his career. Before that, he had every bad gimmick in the world. Yeah, dude, Vinny Vegas, the Oz. Vinny Vegas. Oh, Oz was, was Dusty's Oz. idea. The American Dream, Dusty Rose. I, I, that's where I got the most heat with Dusty. I was in, in, really? in the conference room when he go, okay, babe, I got this great idea. We're going to have Oz based on the Wizard of Oz. And I said, <laughs> uh, Dusty, uh, that's a fictitious place in a movie from 1939. How does that translate into a wrestling they, character? They can't all be hits. Yeah. Where does he go? <laughs> and, and and of course, I mean, he only appeared one time. He he got this huge matte painting of Emerald, of, of Emerald City you know, uh, for, for Kevin Nash's entrance. He comes out. He's wearing a Halloween wizard mask. Yep, I remember so that. Ties it out like you know, uh, I forget. You know, it had like planets on it and stars. No, it was Kevin Sullivan is, is accompanying to the room, just going, "Welcome to Oz, welcome yep. to Oz." And they had a capuchin monkey who was so nervous from the crowd, he just you know, crapped all over everywhere. God. So then, you know, Kevin Nash steps over the top rope. Takes off his those you know, rubber you know, Halloween mask and his hair is like powdered white. He's like, oh, it's Kevin Nash. Mm. Oh, oh, okay. There's nowhere to go with the character Oz. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. And I try to explain that in the movie. I go, what? What does Oz do? Why does anyone care? Why would any? Well, person, you know, no, there. I'm going to bash myself after that. That's going to be my gimmick. Very so. I think a lot of that, with especially at that time. You know, and that was still, I mean, that was still, you know, WWF was uh, responsible for a lot of these over-the-top characters and everything. I think they were probably just trying to do that, and uh, it, it just obviously didn't work. They're like, well, we need something ridiculous, you know, and they gave us some fucking ultra-ridiculous, you know. Um, oh, well, I mean, the Shockmaster. I mean, you can, oh, my God. Shockmaster. Yeah, it's fucking tugboat, dude. Always, 
I mean, that was just, I mean, even if that, even. I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to the Perfect Scam podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Even if he doesn't trip through the, 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 the gimmick wall, it's what stupid. Do you do with the shock mask? Yeah, he looked fucking stupid, do? dude, what, with the. The stormtrooper helmet that's all glittery as fuck, like he just came out of a gay bar. Yeah, Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, "Oh, I'm coming after it's you." Like, Is this Doctor Fucking Claw? Some good ideas, you know, like the Black Scorpion. But I can't Black Scorpion was dope. Like was that, that uh, now? Correct me if I'm wrong, because I might be mixing this up because uh, so much shit. And I I don't like to pull from like looking at papers or internet. It's just from pure memory. Um, Black Scorpion was Ric Flair, right? Well, that's what they ended up doing because they had no plan. Right. It's all CDU pants stuff. And I said, this is episodic television. You actually have yeah. to know where are you going to end up. And then you figure you out to tell how a to story. Get yeah, yeah. So, so, so Oli came up with the idea of the Black Scorpion. He did the interviews with the gimmick voice. He didn't know who it was. Mm-hmm. Then they didn't know what to do. Then they started having the magic acts in the ring. Mm. They hired illusionists who all of a sudden staying cold, you know, the black curtain, and there's a, a, a tiger inside a cage. Yeah. What did that have to do with it? So then they didn't know where to go. So let's make the black hey, uh, flare. Well, let, me, let me ask you about this. What about fucking RoboCop? That's when I first started. Um, that that was the first big thing I had. They they, they made the RoboCop 2 was coming out. Yeah, and yeah. The thing was just getting, he just rehabbed his knee injury where he tore, he tore his tendon. Mm-hmm. So that was going to be capital combat. Yep. And so we had the, we had the stuntman, you know, the, the play Robocop, you know, actually show up in the ring. So we you had all the, the, um, you know, the, the, the commercials with it where he says the same spine thump from the movie, think it over, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is great. Yeah. So, so, so Robocop, the stuntman for Robocop is actually going to interfere in this match. I think it was Sting Luger. I can't remember it was Luger or Flair. Mm. And anyway, he trips and falls on his back and he's like a beetle. He can't get up. Oh, so it's, it's, it's like, okay, it was a great tie-in. You know, yeah, yeah. We get this the mainstream star, star you know, you know, uh, the Robocop doing promos with Sting, saying the, 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 the big line, the big catchphrase. Put, and then it, it, it was horrible. But, I mean, I did get a lot. That was the first time I got a lot of press. I like, got a picture of Robocop and Sting, and I was able to send that off to the mainstream press. Oh, yeah, okay, we'll print that. Sure, fine, whatever. Uh, and then it's just okay. Where where is this going? Why is Robocop have helping Sting? Mm-hmm. But he, he's a movie character. Why why is he so yeah. wrestling that? But I, I, it, it was you know? geared towards kids. You know, like I said, I I remember being a kid at that time, and I never thought about it that much in depth, even though I knew it was kind of ridiculous. But I just thought I was like, man, this is fucking cool. You know. <laughs> Well, but once again, does it go anywhere? They, the, the poor Brad Armstrong, they, they get oh, kids. Oh, God, yeah. They, do? they made him the candy man. He's going to throw candy yeah. at everybody. Yeah. Future candy hit a kid in the eye. And that <laughs> or look like a and, pedophile and, and, wants some candy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and then, 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 then we get, uh, you know, uh, Art Bar to play Beetlejuice. And, of course, they, they got sued for that name. Well, so what about Arachna Man? You remember Arachna Man? Were you there for that? Arachna Man. 
you know, I mean, and, and then they came up with an idea where, thank God, they tracked. They're going to have a couple of hunchbacks, you know, oh. acting and things like that. Since they're hunchbacks, they can't be pinned. So was was this all Dusty? I mean, was he, like, head of creative when you were there? Who was running it? Was it, like, Jim Hurd or? Well, Jim, Jim Hurd was the executive vice president. He's the one mm. that actually came up with the idea for, for uh, the hunchback. I Jesus actually liked Jim Hurd because he was, you know, he, he was an honest, he immunized if you want to cast someone to play a longshoreman in your in your Zoomian fight movie, he'd be the guy. Mm-hmm. He hated wrestling. He hated yeah. the wrestlers. He was hired because Jack Petrick, who was the head of Turner Home Entertainment, which where we were folded in the bad division, mm-hmm. he didn't know who to hire, no who right. to the vice president. So Nobody did, Jim, man. Jim, at one point, worked at a TV station that carried some of WCW's bro. Yeah, you get it. So he, was, he, he hated wrestling. He hated the guy. Didn't know how to negotiate with them. No. And that first Dusty, then Oli was the booker. Mm, yep. And then when he got fired, you know, once again, they didn't know who to turn to. So Jim, uh, Petrick went around the company. Who wants to head up WCW? This, huh. this idiot lawyer, Kit Fry. Oh, I'll man. do it. Well, so he all of a sudden becomes uh, you know, the executive vice president. The first thing he asked me to do is, we have a pay-per-view coming up in Kansas City. I want to call a press conference. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh, God, I know what he means. He's thinking he's going to be at a podium with a whole bunch of microphones. It's every news logo on there. Mm-hmm. And a room full of media, like, like, like a presidential press conference. Yeah. The entire media is going to be there trying to ask questions. This is such an important moment. And I try to convince him. I said, nobody cares. The, press, the mainstream press, I get them to do things once in a while when I actually have something to promote. And that's what they'll do because I'm not bothering them all the time. Right. the end of it you know, until I, I, Bischoff took yeah. over, right? Well, yeah, well, that's right. Bischoff um, was, Bischoff was actually before Bush. Uh, and Bischoff is what, the, the big one was under Bischoff, but the reason why it didn't work eventually is because the cost overrun. For, for the Monday Night Nitro, mm-hmm. he would have every single talent show up the arena and figure out then who was going to wrestle. Yeah, yeah. A whole lot of people there was were, no were planning. flying and getting hotel rooms and not getting you. Yeah, they were getting there. Was a lot of guys back then because, and I, th- I honestly think the whole process thought was, you know, once they kind of struck gold, or even before they didn't, it was like, hey, it's Uncle Ted's pocketbook, you know, like as long as there's some sort of draw, like we'll just fucking pay these guys to do nothing. The draw was, which worked for a little while. In other words, was all seat your pants. He would decide right Everything was by the seat. What the angle was, and who's going to wrestle. He thought that's why people are going to tune in because you never know what's going to happen. It's nothing is promoted. Yeah. Yeah. And that's. It, that's it lasted a long way. I, 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 how many weeks? Like 59 weeks. You know, we, were, we were beating uh, 83. the raw. 83. The ratings was killing them. Or 83 or 82, something like that. 
And then it fell. It completely fell apart because it was not, it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't sustainable financially. And then people mm-hmm. realized there's no reason to watch the next day, the next day. They're not going to the house shows. They're not turning on. Yeah. They're not watching the syndicated shows. And that turned quick. No continuity. Once, yeah, once they got bad. And here's the thing. Like, I've told many people, wrestling fans are probably the most, excuse me, passionate fans of all of entertainment or sports. I mean, they're there for the good, the bad, the ugly. And they were not there once it got ugly with WCW. They And they let people know because they fucking turned the channel, the USA Network or wherever it was at the time, TNN or, you know, whatever WWE was on at the time. Um, and it's just, it blows my mind because to think there was a company that blew Vince's ass out the fucking water for a, for two years, damn near. They were like WCW. It was like almost like WWF never existed because you had all the main guys over there and they were doing something. Well, at least with the NWO guys, they were doing something that was new and hip and whatever. But they just do. They oversaturated that and wired it down. And there was not there was no good booking over there. And, you know, no, no, they, 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 the they had a good history. idea. And, and the reason why the NWO worked so well because they had an editor there named Kemper Rogers, who was genius. He yeah. created the entire look the shaky pirate cam, really, you know, the black and white promos. The whole thing that made this look like this was an illegitimate promotion that was seeping in and somehow taking over. Dude, I'll tell you what, brother. Together. Like, I it mean, you were there. Look at this. Mm hmm. And, but once again, the booking just fell apart. I mean, so it, it, it was, it, he made it interesting visually. And there was enough good wrestling that once again, like you said, I know the fans were passionate about it. So yeah, I was wondering if it's just good stuff here. And then they turned it into a, a, a cartoon, no continuity, no storyline, nothing. Like, okay, I get the whole idea of the NBA, NWO. I've seen it, done that. Next. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you what, well, that, and, yeah. and I have no idea where Vince goes now. I, I haven't watched wrestling in years. I hear he's got a lot of talent. Yeah. Doesn't know how to use them. Yeah. If they are WCW uh, back when they were starting to go down. That's what WWE is now. But the good thing is, and I hope that you tune in next week. We'll be there live in Chicago. We got a suite uh, for All Elite Wrestling, which is owned by the. Have you heard about All Elite AEW? Uh, the only thing I've heard of is uh, what Elite Wrestling, which is I think out of Jacksonville. The guy that yeah, owns Tony Khan, the Khan family. So that's the only one I've heard of. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, it's AEW, dude. They they basically they signed uh, the Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes, son of Dusty Rhodes, um, Kenny Omega. Like, there's this core group of dudes that are like EVPs. But I'll tell you what, they they have blown up wrestling in the past couple years, man, and. They have a just a knack, and you could you could totally see Cody and Dusty's influence on shit. If you get a chance, man, go back and watch uh, like All In. Um, what was the big one, Threat? Where it was uh, uh, Cody versus uh, Dustin, and it was like the best storytelling. Double or nothing. Double or nothing. AEW double. Well, I, I I know one guy that's involved there, a guy named Alex Montez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the Miami Herald, and yeah. then he, he got in he's commentary Fox Sports. I mean, uh, they're doing pro football, well, and I believe he's had a promotion there. So yeah, the he's one who actually working he is up into mainstream media, the big time is one of their top people. Yeah, he's he and he is he's a commentary guy, and he's okay at best. I I don't know. There's something just rubs me the wrong way about about him with his commentary, you know, and they got Jim Ross there, but they just signed Tony Schiavone too. 
So well, okay, well, so I well, Ross, Ross didn't like me. Uh, his office was across from mine. He kept on coming up to me and pitching the story. He goes Barry, I'm on TV more than anybody. And was he like any, other, any other sport? I go, it's not a story. Hmm. I said nobody cares if, if you are on more rest of hours of TV because we have all these shows that a lot of people aren't watching. <laughs> I said, it's not. I'm not pitching it. I, if I pitch that, yeah. the next time I pitch them something, they go, "Oh, it's that guy." Could you and imagine, Barry, if motherfuckers would have actually listened to your ass, like back in the day? You know, well, like I, mean, oh, I, I liked him. I mean, I thought Jim Ross was good for what he did. Yeah, he was. He he he's the in wrestling. You know, there's got to be that believability factor, and he's very good for that because I mean, you could put he, Jim he's Ross very in a. Good, but- yeah, but it wasn't actually. Who, who am I pitching with? I mean, the New York mm-hmm. Times, USA Today. I, that's what he wanted. He thought this was a huge story, mm-hmm. and and I, I, I no, it's not a big story. But I was successful with getting stuff on uh, mainstream media because I only did it when I knew it actually was something that you know, like all, all media needs content at some point. Like it's not a huge news story every single day. No. I, Ray Wyatt's dad, I mean, uh, IRS. When, 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 when they had Alexandra York, who later became yep. know, uh, Dustin's wife, you know, um, mm-hmm. and she, and she was Terry Runnels in, mm-hmm. in WWF. But uh, I got him on, 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 on a cover of USA Today. I got Inside Edition you know, to do a story. You know, I, I, I got the permission. I'm, I'm going to rent him a Rolls Royce limousine and a story, and a walk up a story at Penthouse Apartment. I got Ken Gillette of Penn and Teller to write a story about him in the PC Computing Magazine. So that this was right after you know uh, Wall Street, Mike, you know, uh, Mike Michael Wall Street. Michael Wall Street kind of looks like him. Yep. So uh, the weed is good. So it was just a perfect gimmick, of, and plus the whole idea of computers. Hey, mm-hmm. computers are now involved in wrestling. Yeah. So it just worked on the mainstream. So I that I had success with pitching it because I thought it would work, and it did. But, you know, all the stories a lot of guys came to me when heard that his, his job was online. He said, call, call, call a local TV station and say, let's move to save a bunch of kids from a house fire. Mm-hmm. They go, they sat check this stuff. Yeah, and yeah, right. In the water. I said, they'll realize that never happened, and I'll, I'll be done. I know I can't do that. Yeah, yeah. They said, what? They go, we lie. Wrestling lies for a living, so you can lie too. Yeah, but like, and but it's funny because back then they were still maintaining kayfabe. It's like, how? What better way to expose the business than the like, say some fucking outlandish shit like that you didn't do? You know, there's shit that happens. Like, uh, I think it was a couple months ago. Uh, shout out to Psychosis. You remember Psychosis, right? Oh yeah, uh, dude. He legit saved someone in a fucking car accident. Like got out and like someone was. I think it was they were either drowning or something. And he, it was like headline news. Like you know, professional wrestler saves this guy. It was fucking psychosis. Like wow, that's that's I, 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 awesome. I, I, I got a call once uh, from uh, Wall Street Journal journalist Daniel Pearl. Uh, he was he was famous. He was actually beheaded in Afghanistan, and they made a movie about it where uh, Angelina Jolie played his wife. Yeah, yeah. So he calls me up because I'm sure you heard this story. Some driver got a serious neck injury in, in, in a squash match. Mm. So he goes to the press and says, "I got hurt because he didn't follow the script." Mm-hmm. Script, like I said, this is where it was all kayfabe. Mm-hmm. So Daniel Pearl, this is—he thought this would be a, a little joke column. He's blowing the lid off us. I mean, he, tongue in cheek, he—he could care less because he's obviously the most serious journalist out there. But he thought, okay, even a serious journalist will want to do a fluff piece. So he calls me up and says, "Hey, Mr. Norman, here, the publicist, tell me, I heard this guy say that uh, he got hurt because uh, the other guy didn't follow his script." 
So is there a script? Is wrestling really fake? And I, I, I hated lying for a living, so I came up with an answer that wasn't a lie. I said, well, there's a lot of people who think wrestling's fake. You'll never nah. convince them it's real. There's a lot of people who think it's real. You'll never convince them it's fake. Nah. So I told the truth. It actually, there's a, a book of, uh, possibly uh, after he was killed, there's a book of, of his articles that he wrote for the Wall Street Journal, and that one's in there. So someone came up to me and goes, do you know you're in Daniel Pearl's book? And I go, what? Oh, God. And then I remember the interview. Because, I mean, I told the truth, right? Yeah. And you just said the so, F-bomb like three times in the I, fucking I, I row. I told the truth. <laughs> and it, 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 it sounds, it, it's, it's proper. It sounds good. No one can argue it. No one can call me a liar. And no one can say it. Cause Except Henry Rollins. I off of anything. Remember? I, 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 I didn't expose the business. Yeah. So, I that was my line. I, I used that after that forever. I, mean, I was constantly, the job was hard because a lot of wrestlers were, get, were getting buzzed for spinning like this. Of course, I'd get the call. Yeah, yeah. From, you know, the comment about you know, the police blotter that just read. You know, oh, God, here we go again. Well, Vince, <laughs> you know, Vince ruined it too in that whole steroid scandal. It's like, well, it's entertainment, you know? Oh, or at least a lot of people like to cite him as being the guy. But, I mean, years before that, you had fucking Jim Duggan. And I always go back to this. Him and the Sheik getting busted for coke, you know, and a bunch of drugs or whatever, riding to the show together when they were supposed to hate each other. You know, USA, USA, I number one, you know. Like, come on. Here's the thing. It's kayfabe back then it was so weird like as a kid growing up i think i'm really like the last generation that kind of sort of really invest and believe in it um it you know i had people when i started watching wrestling like there was like oh well you know that's you know you know what it is i you know i tend not to drop the f-bomb on here out of respect for people who do the business you know um but it it was never like that to me i i would look at it and be like there's no way you know, and then when I started to really get what it was, I'm like, okay. But still, it's like, who cares? Because no one's going and fucking saying, well, what that guy did in this movie is not real. You know, like, it didn't, that explosion did not fucking happen. Right, right. You know, I'm it's sure like, right, like that people, happen. and that's, it all goes, dude, that was like the earlier version of fucking internet trolls. I don't, you know, here's the thing. I got a lot of time in my life for good people like you, Barry, and anybody else that's got good stories to tell. But any of these negative motherfuckers, dude, could just... I'm sorry this might sound a little bad, but just fucking... Dude, put a gun in your head or do something, because you, nobody's got time for that. Negativity in the world, there's too much. Get over it. Don't fucking sit there and troll people that are having a good time, trying to do their thing in any medium, any art form, any shape. You know, like, I'm so sick of that shit. I'm so sick of the news media being negative. I'm sick of everybody, like, you get it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and someone's posting a picture of whatever it is, there's always somebody who's going to shit on it. You know, like, get over yourselves, you know? like I, that's... Yeah, I'm starting to like the people that post cat pictures and pictures of their dinner. <laughs> I'm starting to like, I mean, I used to make fun of them, too, and now I'm starting to like them. Okay, you can't really argue about, no, you just had pork chops for dinner, and here's a cute picture of your cat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I love pork and now. pussy too. You know, <laughs> you can't get into an argument over. It. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, like, neg- There's too much negativity in the world, man. We just all need to come together and like have a good time, man. Uh, oh, so sure, and there's uh, people just like blowing the magic. It's like the guy that sits in front of the magic show. I dig your palm and it. You know, just let it go. I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay, good for you. You're you really yeah. react. You feel better. Yeah. 
keep talking shit, motherfucker, and I'm going to come at you. <laughs> you know, like, now that's the way I feel about it. Hey, Barry, man, uh, I, I appreciate your company tonight. Where can people find you online? And you got anything in the works or anything coming up you want to promote? Well, let's see. What do I have coming up? Uh, do I have anything coming up? Well, I, actually, uh, the funny thing is... Uh, Cross Congress, which is the radio show I talked that I talked about in '92, the original show, which I uh, interviewed uh, Kurt Cobain and a bunch of other artists, is actually it's in pre-production for, to be made into a movie. Nice. So there's actually a script. I found a director, you no, know, who's uh, she, she's she's American, but she lives in Switzerland. She's a top independent director. She loves the same type of music that I do. I I told her the entire story. It's a success story because there's never been a radio show that that got on the air at all. It came from people outside the business. In other words, syndication came from, there's either a local talent or the syndicator turns national or the syndication company creates a national show. Right. Me and my partner had nothing to do with, you know, we weren't involved at all and we got the show. Even though most of the markets were nothing, we did get it on New York. And it was only on for 12 weeks. It did break two bands. It was a, you know, it, it made a difference and nobody knows about it. So it's one of those success, and it also, the, the, the show's demise actually ruined my friendship with my partner. We've been friends for almost 40 years, and as a result of that, there was just a lot of finger-pointing and bad feeling. so that's in the story, too. So that's the biggest thing I have going, is that hopefully that film will be made shown sometime next year. It'll be kind of cool to see something that I did 27, 28 years ago that made a difference then and yeah. went away real quickly. So also, we can hear the music. I mean, obviously, that, I don't think where all the money will be spent is clearances, yeah, yeah. Yep. Music in there. No doubt. But it's kind of cool that it happened. No, it's not kind of cool. It is fucking cool that it happened. Get it right, Barry. Come on. What's your problem, man? Well, that's that's the big thing I do. Because I'm, I'm just a, a, a corporate show at a, at a chain movie theater. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, where where can people find you at online? Or if you care well, to have I'm, people like, look I, for I you. I just have you know, my goofy little Facebook page. Like I said, I, I'm on Instagram, but I haven't looked at that in months. So just if anyone looks up Barry Norman, my my uh, my icon is my my favorite character in the movie, uh, Alexander Delarge from A Clockwork Orange, but the scene where his eyelids are being and they're held <laughs> open with clamps. So if you find the Facebook page that says Barry Norman that has that as the avatar, that's me. Nice. Cool. Yeah, well, Barry, I'd like to thank you for Thanks, coming Barry. on. I hope, you know, in the future, I'd like to have you come back on and we, we talk a little more WCW, if you don't mind, you know? No, no, I, no not a problem. Certainly a lot, a lot more stories about that and film stories and music and all kinds of stuff, so sure. Yeah, man. It's a pleasure I, being on with you guys. Yeah, I, Thanks, I, I had a great time. I hope you did as well. And uh, there's just one more thing we got to do before we end here tonight. We got to wet em up, wet em up, wet em up. wetting them up. You gonna do sex to me? Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. Canadian bacon and hardwood smoked bacon. Or Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Get $2 off a large bacon duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important.
Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. It's Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas, each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important.